Every single time Hunter wakes up from a nap these days, he's asking for a snack and it's usually a fruit snack. And I used to say heck no to all kinds of fruit snacks and goodies like that because I hated all of the artificial dyes, harmful ingredients, and the ridiculous amount of sugar that they have. And while I still am a big proponent in not having all of those things all the time, I find so much hope in knowing that Thrive Market has me covered and has Hunter covered for not just all of those sweet fun treats, but also other essentials while keeping him safe and healthy. And it's honestly become a fun little tradition for Michael and I to sit down and pick out our Thrive Market order. They're so amazing and such our go-to for delicious snacks and pantry essentials and so much more. Their app is so easy to use and everything is delivered to our doorstep in a matter of days, which drastically reduces my stress level because making time to go to the grocery store is my least favorite thing to do. Plus, I'm obsessed with their standards. They restrict literally 1,000 plus harmful ingredients and they only allow the most trusted ingredients for you. I mean, even last order, I saved $20 and got an incredible deal on the poppy probiotic sodas that I love. Plus, it's not just good for your family. When you join Thrive Market, they also gift a membership to a family in need, which is the greatest. So let's save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash truthtalks for 30% off your first order. Plus, you get a $60 gift for free. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash truth talks. Thrivemarket.com slash truth talks. Hi sis. Welcome to Truth Talks with Tara. The purpose behind this podcast and online ministry is to help beautiful women like yourself know, love, and live God's truth. Not only will this be a space of truthful, faith-filled talks, it will also be a place where we let God's word speak for itself because God's truth speaks. My name is Tara, and I'm your host, but you can call me your sister. Join me each week as we talk about the truth of God's Word and how it can ignite us with purpose. We'll talk about God's Word, how we're called to live, challenging topics, and grow in faith together. My prayer is that God would use this podcast to encourage and equip our hearts. Let's be women who love His truth, live His truth, and spread His truth. Hello, sweet friend. Welcome back to another episode of Truth Talks with Tara. I am sitting down with a cup of coffee and most importantly, you. I am so excited for this episode. About a week and a half ago or so, I asked you to ask some questions over on Instagram to do a Q&A episode as sort of a way to celebrate the new year and just 2021 and what God has for this podcast. And you guys came through with literally hundreds of questions, anything from personal life, wedding, questions about God, passages in the Bible, even some really personal juicy ones and growing your Instagram and ministries and such. So I'm really excited to dive into. I wasn't able to do all of them, but we're going to cover a good bit of them today. I hope you have, but if you haven't already, I would love to invite you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Truth Talks on Tara is on so many platforms. Make sure to subscribe or follow so that you don't miss any episodes. This is an amazing way to make sure that you're caught up, really involved in this podcast and ministry. Without further ado, let's get into some of the questions. So the first one was, Tara, are there any specific 
orders or should there be a specific way that I read the Bible? So I love this question. I feel like I get it a lot. People asking how to read the Bible, how to do it exactly. So I want to give you a fun fact to start out. The books in the Bible, like if you literally just flip through your Bible or go to the front of your Bible to have where they have the table of contents, the Bible is actually organized by literary genre and two different testaments as we know it. So you know, the Old and the New Testament. So the Old is everything before Jesus from the beginning of creation when God created the world to the start of God's covenant promises. We have people like Abraham, Moses, David, people who are really integral to God's promise of redeeming man after Adam and Eve sinned and sent the world into a spiral. It also goes to setting up prophecies and so much more. And then the New Testament, you know, is the fulfillment of the old. Basically, all the promises God promised to come about. Introducing Jesus, the biggest promise, as our salvation. And then it moves on to the new church after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And it even goes into Revelation, the foretelling of the end times. That's just a big little overview of what the different testaments in the Bibles laid out like but there's actually something called a chronological order a chronological way to read the Bible specifically this means reading the Bible in the order that events actually happen because when you read the Bible in the way that it's set out in the Bible in the literary form that they did it's actually not in event order. Chronological order, though, is event order because you might read books like, um, let's see here, Job and Psalms and those, and those don't necessarily go together, meaning they weren't written around the same time. So chronologically is also an amazing way to read the Bible, and you can really have everything line up. You can find a chronological study online. I love BibleStudyTools.com. They have one. You can also find one in the Bible app. There's an amazing chronological study. That's a great way to read the Bible too in that order. I also want to remind you though that God doesn't tell us one singular specific order to read the Bible in. Like I cannot tell you a verse that tells us like you have to read it in this way. I want you to read all these books in this way. But we have a few options. Um, one to read in the way that they're laid out in our Bibles in literary genre. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are clumped together in genre because they're gospels. But you can also read in the chronological order to see how the Bible fits together in a cohesive timeline. So I hope that makes sense. The next question is, how old are you, Tara? I am 21 as I record this, but at the end of January, I will be 22. So that is my birthday. I love the mix of fun personal questions too. The next question we're going to talk about is actually a really, really honest and brave question. I'm so thankful that this friend asked it. And it's how to make the best out of the waiting season and not desperately wait, and but actually thrive in your waiting season. And I think this friend is talking about the waiting season when you're waiting for a boyfriend, waiting for a husband. That's typically what we like to call the waiting season, at least in the church. And so I want to encourage you with a few snippets right now. The first thing is to own your gift. Those three words right there, own your gift. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually explains the gift of singleness. And yes, it's actually a gift. It's this really unique time in your life to be wholly undistracted and devoted to God. 
So think about it. I mean, I am so thankful for Michael, so thankful for our marriage coming up, so thankful for our dating years. But let's just look at things practically. When you're in a relationship, dating, marriage, you are focusing more of your more of your time on that person. It's just naturally how it is. It's not necessarily bad. But as a single person, Paul explains it in 1 Corinthians 7, that you have the unique opportunity to be wholly devoted to God and undistracted. I actually have a blog post about this that you can find at immeasurablymoreblog.com and I'll link it for you in the show notes. But singleness, as God explains it throughout the Bible, is a purposeful calling. And sometimes it's a season of your life or sometimes God calls some women to be single their whole lives here on earth. But it's meant to be leveraged and used and taken advantage of because we don't have the distractions that relationships have. So I want you to believe this with me, that if you're waiting in your waiting season and you want to wait well and not be desperate, remind yourself that singleness is a sweet opportunity to serve Jesus. God has given you a unique point of life here, not to withhold anything from you. It's not a punishment, but it's actually to give you more opportunities in his presence to serve him and to be more intentional with the way you love people and spend time with them more than I could even as someone who's in a relationship. And when there's undivided more time in God's presence and serving him, there is the most transformation, growth, and kingdom opportunity that you can be a part of. So I would encourage you practically to do two things. One is to trust and two is to surrender. So spend daily time in the word with God. The more you let the word transform you, like the more you read it, the more God will show you who he is and who he wants you to be. So both who he is and then what he calls you to do. God will undoubtedly show you that he's loving, caring, purposeful, and trustworthy. This just also takes a huge measure of faith on our part when we're single. Can we trust that God is good to you because he died on the cross for you since he sent Jesus to die on the cross? Can you trust that if he did that for you, that he can also provide you a season of thriving in your singleness and your waiting? Take advantage of every single opportunity that you have from God. Say yes to ministry. Say yes to spending time with friends, encouraging them in the word, being involved in church and serving and loving on your people. Remember how much freedom you have in Christ in this time. You have such kingdom potential, again, to be wholly undistracted. There's other things in life, but relationships are beautiful. They're huge. They're from God, but you have a beautiful opportunity right now in your life. And if Christ is in you, you have no void. You don't have to be desperate. And when we're desperate in our lives for things we think we need, I feel like it just reveals a lack of trust. And so just practically trust and surrender. That's what I would encourage you in friend. And that's how God helps you thrive and not be desperate while you wait. Another question from another friend is, how can we live for God wholeheartedly when I'm looking at everyone else, quote, living their best lives? <laughs> I think this question is amazing. I struggle with it often. And what we have to remember, though, is I always have to come back to not comparing ourselves because we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. That's what Second Peter 1, 3 says. Remember that you were created uniquely. Remember that Psalm 139, God knitted you together in your mother's wombs. Sure, remember that we all have the same callings as Christians to make disciples, to love God, to follow him, to read his word. We all share those similar things, but the individual day-to-day life that I have is going to look different from what you have and other people in your lives. 
I, when I was looking at this question, I had to think, where did the notion or the idea of my life has to look the same as hers to be great come about? Like, where did that really come about? And I really think that came from the devil. I mean, that sounds harsh, but I really think it comes from the root of comparison and the root of dissatisfaction and not being content in what God's given us. Let's think about it. There's different levels of sanctification and God, it takes us all on our own levels of spiritual maturity. What he's working in your heart and life is different from someone else's and it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad or it's or it's good. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that if God is doing this work in her life that your life and the work that he's doing in yours isn't as good. I want to encourage you, friend, that when you're tempted to compare your life to someone because they look like on social media or in person that they're living their best life, I want you to remember a few things. The first thing is that if you're in Christ, if you're a believer of Christ, you have the guarantee of your best life. Listen to that again. You will have the guarantee of your best life if you're in Christ. Yes, we will have pain and trials and persecution. Christ promises that to us in this broken world. But if you follow him and the path he's laid out for you in the word and you stay close to him, you will be able to see every step he has for you. So stay close to him and keep your discerning ears open. Pray that you'd be able to understand him and then follow him because he gets to dictate what your best life is. Galatians 6, 4 through 5 is an amazing verse to read too. And Paul is just encouraging his readers, the people in the church, to honestly evaluate their lives, but not to others, to encourage other people in their lives, but evaluate our lives only by the standard of God. Let's ask ourselves these questions. Was what I did or what I want to do effective? Was it meaningful? Was this truly helpful and did it reflect Christ? Did I reflect Christ in this? These are the only questions we should be asking ourselves. And that's how we can really live for God when we're holding our lives up to him and his word and his standard instead of getting caught up in looking at other people's quote unquote best lives. Another sweet friend asked to how to stop people pleasing. Oh my gosh, friend, um, if this is you, it is me at times for sure. You may be that kind of person who struggles to say no. You might worry about what people think of you. You dislike conflict perhaps, or you change yourself when other people are around depending on the crowd. Girl, I'm raising my hand with you because I have done this so many times. But let's look at what God says about this. The root of this issue of people pleasing it's actually an issue, is idolatry and misplaced worship, meaning we're putting someone or something above God, worrying too much about what man thinks than what God thinks. People-pleasing is essentially worshiping other people and their opinions and not putting God first. In the Bible, he commands us to have no other gods or hard attentions above him, right? Galatians 1.10 is one of the best verses on this. It says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? If I were still trying to please man as, a, as something that the old man does, Paul says, I would not be a servant of Christ. So friend, sure, we want to make sure that we don't wrongfully, sinfully offend or make someone stumble in life. Like we don't want to make decisions just to not please people and have that intent. We shouldn't have the motivation to make everyone hate us. But if we're following God's call and making decisions that he would approve of, that's enough. That's what God calls us to. Why? Because he has the best and final say for our life. Remember that people pleasing is exalting others above God. 
and it's misplacing our worship and our energy. This is how we can stop people pleasing is to remember our identity in God and Christ and his approval, not because we deserve God's approval, not because we deserve to be enough, but because of Jesus, because Jesus came and he took your place and now your identity is in him. You can be confident and know that you don't have to please people because You have pleased God first and foremost through what Jesus did. When God looks at you now, if you're in Christ, he sees Jesus and what he did for you. And God calls you positionally perfect, meaning someday you will in heaven reunite with me. You'll be perfect. For now, I see you as someone that does not have to look for the approval of man, but someone who can wholeheartedly root their life in the approval of God because you have it if you're following his ways. So pray about this. Pray about the root of misplaced worship and people pleasing to be just exterminated out of your life. And every time you make a decision or you're in a situation, ask God if this glorifies him or man or yourself. That's really going to be a really good practical way to stop people pleasing is to see where's my motivation. I was also asked how to grow my followers online. So I actually have some cool resources for you. I have a couple blog posts on my blog always linked in the show notes as well as two episodes here on the podcast that we did a couple months ago and it is a social media mini series of sorts where you guys ask questions about social media how to grow how to create a ministry those titles are social those titles are social media ministry part one and part two dealing with hate writing well and more so you can go ahead and scroll through the show find those episodes and I pray that this answers the question of growing followers and even just equipping a ministry online or in person for the Lord a sweet friend also asked on Instagram how wedding planning is going and that was so sweet and also when I'm getting married which is so considerate of you all to ask so many of you are praying for us and the craziness that's going on just with all the restrictions with COVID and the pandemic so honestly wedding planning is going really well it has gone really well over the last about five months or so we're so thankful and as I record this we're about 40 some days away from the wedding which is amazing February 27th is our date when we're going to get married and I cannot wait. Rain or shine, our venue or or our house or whatever, we are going to get married and we're just so looking forward to it and so thankful for our parents' support. Honestly, I've been a bit stressed over the last couple of weeks with um, our venue and having to worry about, hey, are we going to be able to actually use our venue or is it going to be closed because of our state restrictions? And it's been a little bit hard also to cut our guest list down due to COVID as well. But honestly, God has provided so much. We've been blessed by how he's just lightened the burden of this, especially during this crazy time. So it's going really well. I cannot wait for it to finally be here. It's going so fast, friends, and I cannot wait to show you. P.S. We're going to be having a wedding video, and I can't wait to have you be a part of it in that way too. Oh my gosh. Okay, next question. (laughs) The next question was, When did I give my life to Christ? And that was actually when I was really little. I remember I was three or four. I remember reading this book with my parents every night and they would always ask us at the end, there was a spot where you could dedicate your life. And I remember one day when I was four, I remember in bed asking my parents to um, help me pray and ask God into my heart. But I also do really feel like I rededicated my life, meaning I made my faith my own and I didn't just do it because my parents said, or I didn't do it um, without the full knowledge. I, When I got older, I really realized who God was, what he had done for me. And that was about 12. And then I also got baptized then. 
One of my favorite questions was also asked in this question and answer as well, and that was how to stop distractions when praying or reading the Bible. And so I could do a whole episode on this in itself outside of this Q&A, but I will also direct you to a blog post that I wrote a while ago. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Again, everything. We're going to have so many goodies linked there after this episode, which I hope you're enjoying, but I did a whole blog post on how to stay undistracted in your Bible time. I'm going to give you a little hint as you finish this episode, something to look forward to when you read that blog post later. And it's actually, it's not necessarily a step-by-step thing. There's some really practical things we can do to cut out distractions, but there's more of a heart issue. So I'm going to leave that with you. And I hope that intrigues you to read it and be encouraged from God's word. The next question was how to start studying the Bible. I love this question. So I'm going to give you a couple of things to kind of equip you and get you going. The first thing is to find a solid Bible translation you like or a study Bible. There is ESV, NASB. Those are some of my favorite versions of the Bible because they are probably the most true to the original language. So find a solid Bible translation you like. Get pens, highlighters, a notebook, dictionaries, or commentaries. Those are really good tools not to solely rely on in your study because we need to be wholly devoted to the Bible, but to also just aid in your study I would also encourage you to always start with prayer, always end with prayer because prayer is a recognition of God. I need your help. I need your spirit to help me understand what's going on because we cannot do it on our own. We can't do it unless God enlightens us and gives us discernment. The next thing is to read and meditate over it slowly. Read the passage a couple times because sometimes if we read it once, we don't quite fully grasp what God is saying until we meditate over it, meaning really let the word soak into our hearts. And meditating isn't the weird yoga thing. It's more of letting God just seep the words into our hearts. And that takes time. Also, if you're not sure what book to start reading, here are a few suggestions. The first one is Genesis because why not start in the first book that God intended it to be? Genesis is an amazing book to start the foundation of who we are, who God is, why he created the earth, what happened to man, what sin is, and then also how God's rescue story happened, how he said, okay, man sinned, they're in literal desperation, but I'm going to do something about it. And that's how he started this whole plan of Jesus coming. And then also Matthew or John are some amazing gospels to figure out who Jesus is, to know who he is, what he came to do, the story of salvation, which is at the core of our faith. Also, another thing is to look into the book, Living by the Book. It's one of my favorite books that actually helps you and gives you a step-by-step guide of how to understand and interpret and study the Bible. On my blog, again, at immeasurablymorblog.com, you can find a resources page, and I always have books or Bible studies or Bibles that I love linked there just for you, just for this question of like, hey, I need some resources to help me study. Those are just for you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. 2024 has simultaneously felt like the longest and shortest year. Our little family has gone through so many highs and lows and joys and valleys. I mean, Hunter's growing up so crazy and our calendars are so crazy. And this is usually the time of year where so many of us give up on our New Year's resolutions. And while some of mine have not panned out, to be honest, there are some that have. I am personally really proud of my consistent workout routine this year. It has been something that has been so off and on since having Hunter. It's also given me so much mental clarity to be physically active. I'm also really proud that I have instilled regular rhythms of rest in my life and not just rest when I'm burnt out, which was usually the norm. 
When life moves so quickly, let's just slow down and celebrate our little wins and move forward in faith and make adjustments for the rest of the year. This is your little mid-year check-in. Therapy can help you take stock of your progress and set achievable goals for the rest of the year. So if you're thinking about giving therapy a try, try BetterHelp to keep you on track. It's entirely online, so it flows with your lifestyle, and you can select a therapist that fits your needs and beliefs, but also feel the freedom to switch at any time to find the best match. Therapy gives you the space to talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and process it, which can be really hard on your own. So visit betterhelp.com slash truth talks today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash truth talks. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm going to rapid fire this next question because I literally, again, could spend so much time on it. And it is some of my favorite books that I'd recommend to young adult women. And here are some off the top of my head. The first one is You're Not Enough and That's Okay by Allie Beth Stuckey. Crazy Love by Francis Chan. Probably my top favorite Christian book. The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, a small but packed read. And anything by Jen Wilkin. If you have any Christian books that are solid in the Lord and in the Word for young women, make sure to DM me over at Miss Terrasen on Instagram. I would love to hear and also share with you guys. The next question I feel like is so important to touch on and it is how did I find time for the Lord in a busy day or how do we find time for the Lord? I'm just going to say this. Instead of finding the time, we have the choice as Christians to make the time, to choose to sacrifice and carve out time throughout our day. It's not about finding the time because we all have busy lives no matter what occupation we are. Life can get busy. There's other things in the way. But it's about choosing small pockets of your day to continue with him. So that can be literally dedicating the first 15 minutes of your day before you start in the Bible. That's a choice. Maybe even throughout the day, doing pockets of prayer as you go about your day, listening to Christian podcasts like this one or praying or music. First Chronicles 16, 11 even tells us to seek the Lord and his strength, to seek his presence continually. This is all about putting on discipline and the proper motivation because without discipline, we are people, even the most type A motivated people, we are people that if we don't have the proper discipline and motivation and even just the right understanding of what the Bible is and how good it can be for us if we read it, we're going to fail and we're going to mess up. So we need to put on that discipline because the Bible if we let it, will be more of a chore instead of the life-giving, enjoyable time that God meant it to be. I also have a podcast episode. It's a whole episode about how to find the proper Bible reading motivation. And this talks about how can we actually read the Bible out of a heart that is the right motivation and not it being, oh gosh, just a chore. I don't have time for this. I would deeply encourage you to tune in to that episode and chat with me about that. And the next question is my favorite Bible journal. I love Give Me Jesus Journal by Well-Watered Women. Again, they're linked on my resource page. What I love about it is that it gives you tips on how to read the Bible. It also gives you space to pray, write down scripture, to apply, to pray for others, to write down notes. It's a beautiful, beautiful resource. 
Sweet friend, you're just hitting the nail on the head with these questions. The next one is what do godly Christ-pursuing, Christ-centered friendships look like in your experience and in the Bible? I love this question. I actually just got back from my bachelorette weekend just yesterday. And so it was beautiful to be able to spend time with my with my ladies. And also just it was a sweet reminder of what those friendships look like. There is a passage in Ecclesiastes, I believe, that I posted yesterday in my caption that talked about what it looks like to be a true friend, a friend that is honest and an encouraging friend and one that most of all is centered and rooted in the Lord. So for me personally, over the years, I've never honestly had the easiest time with friendships when it comes to having friendships with girls. It can be really hard for all of us. I don't know why. Maybe there's extra drama or the emotions or... But when I've looked back over the years and when I've seen where God has brought me now, Christ pursuing friendships look genuine and prayerful to me. Those are two words that I can come across. Genuine meaning they are honest in who they are and they are genuine in how much they show up in your life. They are prayerful for you. They are prayer warriors on your behalf. They are honest with you about the things you're going through in your life. They're honest with their intentions in the friendship. They're encouraging and they're individually growing in the Lord too, which is so, so important. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to surround yourself with people that are so much lower in your faith or so much higher in your faith or at different spots. It just means that they're seeking the Lord with you in that friendship. And like Proverbs says, a friend that's really a Christ-centered friend is a faithful one. Like Proverbs says, a faithful friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. It doesn't necessarily mean you might be seeing each other all the time, but that love endures because God is a part of it. That passage in Ecclesiastes talks about a three-strand cord not being easily broken. And the reason that metaphor is that cord between you God and your friend. And it's beautiful when God is at the center, when God's at the motivation of those friendships. They add value to your life and they don't bring you down. I love to think of, even though they were mother-in-law and daughter, really, that Ruth and Naomi's relationship was honest. They had to go through some hard things together. Ruth and Naomi spoke honestly. Sometimes they spoke the hard truth in love, but their friendship was rooted on God and what God wanted to do alone in Ruth's life. I remember Naomi said, you go where God leads you to go. It's a beautiful illustration of that friendship. Also, David and Jonathan, there are some beautiful examples in the Bible. And also, if you want to read more about just nuggets of friendship, look into the book of Proverbs. There's so many little snippets that really dig into what friendship is. This juicy question is, how did you and Michael know, my fiance, that it was God's time for you to get married? Honestly, (laughs) if it just came down to it, lots and lots of prayer. We were young when we started dating. Again, we were 17. We were super young, younger than I think we both thought we would be in a serious relationship. But just over the years, it was constant praying, asking, okay, God, is this the right person for me? Are we um, taking things the right way? Are we handling things the right way? So it was a lot of prayer. Again, realizing and recognizing that God alone was going to have his way and his hand in this relationship. And so when we had questions about it, when I had doubts, maybe when he had doubts, we took it to prayer. And also a lot of conversation and wisdom from our parents and and those wise around us like women from church and some of Michael's friends and our parents have been such a guiding force of just that example of godly wisdom with age and so a lot of that too and 
We also kind of gave some weight, not all of the weight, but we gave some weight and credit to where we are at in our lives, like financially and maturely, you know, just maturity wise, we had to look at you know, I mean, because you don't marry for money. You don't marry, you know, when you're at that perfect spot because we're never going to be at that perfect spot again. But we did have to look at, are we going to be good stewards of our money? Is this a good time where we can both support each other? We can survive. We can um, just really be good stewards of God's money. And just looking at where are we at maturity wise? Are we able to support one another and serve one another? And so there was a lot of prayer, a lot of just surrendering to God's will and It's different for everyone, but the thing that remains the same, I believe, when you are dating someone, when you are waiting to get married, is honestly waiting on God's timing. And all of that has to do with trusting Him and being in constant prayer and getting to know Him constantly through your time in the Word, through advice and encouragement encouragement from other people in your life that are older. All of that goes hand in hand, and that makes the journey of trusting Him that much sweeter, friend. This next question gets me all excited because I love planning and dreaming. It is, what is your biggest hopes or what are some of your biggest hopes and dreams for 2021 this new year? So I broke it up into two categories because I love looking at these kinds of things. The first one is in my personal life, becoming a loving and God-honoring spouse, of course, because I'm getting married in like 40-some days. And I would really love to create a home that's cozy and full of people and just host people, love on them, encourage them in person and... And also continue to be healthy and stay healthy in my mind, my body, and my spirit so that I can just keep doing the work that God's given me. I feel like those are my big personal goals and hopes this year. And as far as business or this ministry is concerned, expanding more on this podcast, obviously, I'm so excited to find more people as well to interview that God wants to have on the show to bring their encouragement and their biblical truths that we can just continue to know, love, and live God's word. I'm so ecstatic for that. And also... I would love to write a book or devotional. Stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say right now. (laughs) Um, Investing more into ministry and people's lives and speaking more. I would love to speak more at conferences, just things like that. I'm really, really excited for what God has. Again, having these dreams are great, but surrendering them to the Lord and being like, God, I know you know what's best. You know what's around the corner. I'm just really excited. The next question is, what has premarital counseling taught you or revealed to you? So this is counseling that we're doing with our pastor that a lot of Christian couples in the church usually do before they get married to get wisdom and encouragement from the word on how to be married, what it's like to be married, what God says about it. So a couple things that God has revealed to me is how beautiful spiritual headship is and how God designed it. When we say spiritual headship, it means the roles that God gave man and then the roles that God gave women to have in marriage. And it's really not restricting but freeing. And honestly, I never grew up, I've never been a feminist. I've never been like, you know, I can do everything. I don't need no man. But I definitely didn't realize until now how beautiful God designed the man and woman relationship in marriage to be. It's a beautiful way way to illustrate the relationship between God and the church and just because God created men to have different roles than women and women to have different roles than men does not mean that any is less just like a body needs different parts to function so do man and wife and again if we get our minds around the fact that marriage is a gift and it's actually a small small taste of our relationship with God it makes it so much sweeter to recognize like God's given me as a woman this beautiful role as a wife it's not restricting but it's 
actually freeing and a beautiful way to worship God. Another thing too that I've been just soaking in day to day is the closer that I am to Christ and the more I fall in love with him, the better wife I'm going to be. Not necessarily just a wife, but just a person in general. And the more Michael will want to love me and care for me if I'm closer to God, right? So it goes the same way. The closer Michael is to Christ, the more he falls in love with him, the more me as a wife, as his wife, will want to trust him because he's being led by God. And that's a huge part of the relationship is submitting and trusting your husband that he's making the decisions for your family. And the more I'll want to respect him and serve him if he's walking with the Lord. So it's just that huge trickle effect and it basically all comes back down to loving God. Another friend asks, how can I accept where I'm at in my faith compared to other people in their faith? So this is kind of like the question earlier when we're comparing our lives to one another, but it just comes down to comparing our faith. And I want to remind you right now that there's a process of spiritual maturity. Paul says in his epistles over and over again that we are Christians who can not only survive on spiritual milk, but we grow up like a baby who starts on milk and then eventually needs real solid food, real meat. And so that's a process and everyone is at a different stage. I will be at a different spot than you. You'll be at a different spot than me. It doesn't necessarily mean one's better than the other. It's just all a process of conforming to the image of Christ, which is sanctification. And that's God's sanctifying work so that we can become more like him, more like what he calls us in the word. Again, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 was a verse or a passage that was coming up to me. And it's, we're all given different gifts in regards to spiritual gifts. And not one is better than the other necessarily, but Think about them all serving to build up the body. Again, one part by itself is useless unless put to work in the whole body at once altogether. And so I want to remind you that God is sanctifying you. If we're not actively pursuing God, though, or seeking to follow him, read his word and actually obey it, then we won't be growing in our faith. So I remember times in my life where I felt lousy about my faith when I saw other people growing exponentially, just skyrocketing. But those, when I look back, were the times when when I was focusing too much on myself and worldly things instead of focusing on Christ and growing in him. I want to encourage you that if you're obeying God, if you're walking in his truth, if you're seeking to know him and to love him and to live out your faith, obey his commandments, that God is the God of Philippians 1, 6 that says he will begin a good work in you. He will carry it on to completion if you love and trust him and you're willing to follow him. Next up, someone asked, how do you actually have the peace of Christ? How can we actually have it when God doesn't promise an easy life? So I was thinking about this question and what it comes down to is remembering, meaning bringing to mind, reminding ourselves every day when we wake up the characteristics and promises of God, meaning like characteristics like God is sovereign, he's in control, he's a redeemer, he's powerful. Remember, God doesn't purposely put us through pain, but he allows it. Not because he's mean, but because he sees a greater plan. Just let's picture this together. Imagine us being down here on earth and only seeing what's in front of us, right? Um, but imagine God hovering above us, seeing the whole entire universe, the whole entire picture, and not just the present, but the past and the future. Friend, he holds it all together and know that there is potential in everything and even in the hard things. 
If it's pain and hard times, God's willing to let his children go through it. Not because, again, he's a punisher or a mean God, but because the fruit and spiritual growth on the other side of that hard time you're going through is worth it. But we just can't sit back and be idle. We have to be actively seeking and trusting him. So I'm praying that that gives you peace knowing that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And remember, when we read that verse, we can't say that the good means everything will be sunshine and rainbows and that God won't put me through hard times and that I'll be perfect all the time. No, that good sometimes means having a really difficult life. And so friend, with this question, I pray that this gives you peace knowing that God is who he says he is. He is loving. He is redeeming. He is saving. He is mighty. He is all those things. Get in the word. Remind yourself of who he says he is. Have God remind you through that time. And then also go through the promises that he's promised through the beginning of the of the world in Genesis until now, until the future. He has kept all of these promises. Can you trust this promise keeper? And can that give you peace that he has kept the peace, that he has held things together, even if it feels like it's crumbling because he has a bigger purpose. All we have to do is to wake up with that peace in Christ in our hearts every single morning, do what he's called us to do, continue on until that finish line and all of the pain will be worth it because it got us closer to God and it maybe was a beautiful wit. As we wrap up this episode and this Q&A, it's been such a blessing. I want to end on these last couple questions. And one of them is, any advice on trying to be perfect? I want to read you this passage that I was studying. 2 Corinthians 3.5 says, Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is in Christ. Think about it. We want to be perfect. We want to look like we have all of our acts together. But how does perfectionism, or at least trying to be perfect, make you feel? For me, at least, it makes me feel super exhausted, super frustrated. Because why? Because it's an unattainable, friend. It's unattainable. It's not something that we were ever created to be or to attain. And it's fake. Perfectionism is fake because it's only found in God. There's only one perfect person. We will be perfect when we get to heaven with him. But it's not attainable here on earth. And that's actually okay because it's only found in God and we have access to God. So I want to encourage you, friend, to rest knowing that God alone is perfect and sufficient, meaning he's enough. He's more than enough for you, for everyone in this entire world. So I want us to remember to throw off that weight and rejoice knowing that God lives in us and he equips us with everything we need. So as we follow him, he does something called sanctification like we've been talking about. And that is our way of growing to be more useful for God, stronger in our faith, more like him. Sanctification doesn't mean we're perfect. Let's not get that mixed up. But it does mean that God is transforming us to be more like him. So let's throw off perfection and seek to pursue God instead because he is attainable. He is sufficient enough. He is more than enough. He is immeasurably more. Why would we want to try and labor and struggle and waste our time on trying to be perfect when we can't be here, when we have God, when we have a bigger purpose to live for? So the more we follow Christ, the more we're going to love him and the more we'll become like him. So until we go to heaven, perfection is a fallacy remember but if we're looking for perfection we can draw closer to God and get to know who he is that he's perfect loving mighty and faithful and that is our access right there 
Honestly, let's get rid of perfection. It only weighs us down. If we can focus wholeheartedly on Christ, our own perfection, he will equip us. He will fill us. He will strengthen us and give us the wisdom to live this life for him. And that is our direct access to literally immeasurably more. The second to last question is a lifestyle one, and that is how to balance your faith, wedding, family, blog, responsibilities, etc. Any tips on how to balance? What do you do? So personally, I do a couple things, about four things. The first thing is time blocking. This is so, so helpful for me. It's laying out my calendar and saying, okay, I am going to do a blog post from 8 to 9 a.m. Then I am going to do a podcast episode, record a podcast episode from 11 to 12 p.m. or a.m. p.m. And I'm going to strategically block that out so that I can get certain things done in the day. And honestly, that prioritizes your time, which is another thing I do, which is prioritizing, is thinking what's the most important today and look at my deadlines if I have to post something, is getting prepared a few days before you need to. It may seem easier to leave it on the back burner and leave it until the last minute, but when you time block, you can be prepared earlier and prioritizing helps you just really hone into what's most important and realizing that, hey, there's a lot of things I could be doing, but there are certain things I know that God's calling me to do. I have this amount of energy and prioritizing it, make sure that you get it done. So time blocking, prioritizing, and also putting up boundaries, which seems crazy to be productive, but like why would we put up boundaries if we want to do more and be more productive? But boundaries allow for you to make way in your life to get rid of things that aren't helping or just be more efficient with certain things and then also just get rid of them if they're not helping and that also makes way for giving your best effort your 112 percent to something else about six months ago I was super burnt out doing a lot of this stuff and I remember feeling like I had to do all the things that I was capable and honestly it was just exhausting me more I was cutting corners I was waiting to the last minute I wasn't preparing well I wasn't prioritizing setting time blocking I wasn't resting and so all of it came to a head so I would encourage you to put up boundaries to cut back even for a season and even just to evaluate if it helped and then you can go back to doing more but even just stepping away and realizing that if anything, it humbles you to re- recognize that God is your strength alone and he alone is the one that's going to help you go about your day. So those are a couple of things personally and making sure you get all of your rest too is so, so important. We need to do an episode on rest and what God says about that, but that's another topic. The last question we're going to talk about in this Q&A today is tips on handling physical temptation. I had a lot of girls ask this question because they're in relationships either new or older dating relationships. And I wanted just to talk about a few things. And the first thing is having really good open communication, whether it be like, hey, I'm really struggling with um, staying pure around you. Or, hey, I really feel like we went across the line the other day. Or, hey, I really don't feel comfortable doing this. Can we reevaluate if there was a certain thing like kissing or being alone on the couch? Just get really practical. If you're comfortable with your dating partner, if you're comfortable with your boyfriend, Boyfriend, which I highly encourage you to find that spot in your relationship to openly communicate because if we don't bring these things up, honestly, it leaves way for these sins, these temptations to keep happening. So open communication is huge as well as getting accountability. It sounds overdone, but it will never be overdone. This could even be your parents unless it's a little bit too awkward. Find a best friend, even maybe find an older lady at your church, someone that's a little bit removed from the situation, but that you feel comfortable talking about these things 
admitting where you guys are standing in your physical relationship and saying, hey, I need help. Checking with me every once in a while. Finding someone that you really truly believe you can be honest with because if we're not honest about where we've messed up because, heck, we all have messed up in these areas of physical temptation. When you love someone so much, it just happens. But we need to pray and ask God to help our hearts be honest because if we're not honest about the sin, if we're not honest about the temptation, it's not going to come up and we can't bring it to light. So finding that accountability as well as reminding yourself of your why all the time, meaning remind yourself why you want to be pure. Remind yourself why it's so valuable to be sexually pure, even in your mind. Remind yourself what God says about the beauty of sex and intimacy save just for a man and wife. Remind yourself what God says and remind yourself, I know I'm saying remind a lot, but we just got to do it constantly, that God's way is best. It's not hindering. It's actually a way to protect us from any hurt, from um, just ruining any taste of what marriage is actually supposed to be. I really believe that when we remind ourselves of our why, it'll help us continue in the day-to-day and say, I have a bigger purpose for saying no to kissing you late at night. I have a bigger purpose than saying no to sitting on the couch with you alone when our parents are home because I want to stay pure for the Lord. Why? Because I want to honor the Lord and I want to follow the Lord. So that's what I would encourage you in as well as just to pray individually and with your boyfriend friend pray for your spiritual temptation pray against that that the enemy would not create a stronghold and that you would be strong enough in Christ and in your faith and in your beliefs to say no one of the last couple things I'll also say on this topic is to not put yourself in situations that will tempt you that will feed that temptation again like Michael and I in the first couple years of our relationship when we were younger we said hey we are not staying home by ourselves we're going to hang out at our homes when our parents are home and we're going to stick around like that and so that was a really really good boundary as well as just evaluating if you've messed up which again friend there's grace for that it happens but evaluating like hey we messed up the other day when we were in the car by ourselves or when we were alone on the couch by ourselves maybe let's just kind of take a step back and let's evaluate what situations we put ourselves into because we're allowing that to happen and finally to encourage you I just want to remind you that if you're in Christ Your body may be weak. Your mind may want to just jump all over that guy you love and just love him physically. But I want to remind you that your body may be weak and your mind may be so, so hard. But Christ, if he's in you, if you believe in him, he is strong in you, friend. Call on him constantly and remind yourself that you're not doing this because you have to, but because you get to, because God has a beautiful plan for what he wants your marriage and intimacy to look like. And ultimately, it's about honor him above all. Oh my goodness, friend, thank you for joining me on another episode of Truth Talks with Tara today. This Q&A was such a joy. I highly and deeply and just so passionately admire you and the way that you're pursuing Christ. You're asking these hard questions. You're digging into the word and more than anything, you just want to hang out here. So thank you deeply. If you enjoyed this episode, if you found some encouraging nuggets in here from one of the questions, make sure to take a screenshot and tag me on your Instagram stories at Miss Tara Sun and follow our podcast Instagram for exclusive encouragement and reminders over there at Truth Talks with Tara. I would love to see you there. I am beyond thankful for you, thankful for this conversation, praying for the rest of your week, and I will talk to you so soon.